The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Here's Brandon. Welcome back to Old Space Show. I'm Brandon, and this is my companion from Radio Free Scarrow, Lazy Doctor Who, Doctor Who the Memory Cheats, and I always like to mention he's a multiple Hugo Award winner, Stephen Schapansky. Confirmed. That's right. Five Hugo Awards. Uh, it hasn't changed my life whatsoever, uh, in case you're wondering what it's like to win five Hugo Awards. Uh, doesn't change much. Doesn't change. Oddly enough, though, they kind of look like the Liberator. Uh, so maybe oh. the, the actual trophies themselves can be used as, uh, as Liberators if in your own fan film, if you're making one about Blake Seven. A Hugo Award winner and now Old Space Show co-host. There yeah. you go. There you go. Uh, the future is bright, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this series of Old Space Show follows the intergalactic swashbuckling escape antics of Raj Blake and his ruffian crew in the first season of Blake's Seven. Today, we are discussing the first episode, The Way Back. Well, Brandon, let me tell you, life in a dome city of the future is secure and comfortable for Raj Blake until he discovers the nightmare that contracts everything he knows and threatens to end his life on Earth. When the former resistance leader, brainwashed by the Federation, is contacted by a new dissident group, he is first shattered to learn about his past and then horrified by the brutal massacre of the dissidents. Facing a staged show trial, he finds himself banished to the penal planet Cygnus Alpha. This one is directed by Michael E. Bryant, written by Terry Nation, and he'll write all the episodes of this season. Uh, the ca- uh, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> uh, starring Gareth Thomas. Silly is it? Nivet, Nivet, Silly Nivet, Sally Nivet, yeah, Sally Nivet. Sorry, Sally Nivet. Michael Keating, Robert Beatty, Jillian Bailey, Robert, yeah, Robert Beatty, Jillian Bailey. Robert James, Jeremy Wilkin, Michael Halsey, and Margaret John. I'm off to a great start reading off names. Uh, I want to note music is done by Dudley Simpson and the script editor is Chris Boucher. Because, Stephen, this is a very Doctor Who adjacent type show. You know what? I I grew up um, only knowing tangentially about Blake Seven. It was mentioned here and there in, in Doctor Who magazine. I remember seeing a couple pictures of it in a Doctor Who visual effects book, and I thought, "Wow, there's this other show out there that was made by the BBC, and it looks like it was like amazing and stuff." And then I finally saw, it, and it's just like this is this is what people who made Doctor Who did just w- when they weren't making Doctor Who. It's like, "Oh, well, do you want to make some Blake Seven now? We we're all here. I mean, we got the right. same sets, we got the same director, the same music. Let's just make some." This makes Blake Seven. And so, yeah. So, one of my favorite parts of watching any television, uh, I only, I usually only stick to like archive BBC television from the 70s and 80s, is that I get to spot Doctor Who actors. And uh, boy, oh boy, that's a, that is a full time contact sport when you're watching Blake Seven because <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot of people uh, both in front of and behind the camera who make both shows. Did you just walk freshly off one set onto the other? Like, get a couple makeup 
brush strokes and go or no. pretty much pretty yeah. much. you know what it's it's remarkable i mean if you're a fan of classic doctor who especially from this era like the graham williams era onwards the, the latter half of the 70s uh it really does feel like classic doctor who doesn't it mm-hmm. yeah 100%. it does to me Apart from, you know, the, the, the plot elements of, you know, ch- ch- child rape and all that, which, which is what the, what these imaginary charges that they, they bring against Blake uh, in, the, in the kangaroo court to send him off to Sickness Alpha. That's, that's where the dividing line is. We don't quite do those sort of adult themes in, uh, in Doctor Who, but they do it in Blake 7. And Doctor Who wouldn't get to those adult themes for like another <laughs> six, seven years? And not even close to that. Not even darkness, close to that. But not even close. <laughs> it wouldn't take a turn that close uh yeah for a bit um yeah uh dark stuff bleak bleak stuff uh but yeah the like we have michael e bryant directing this first episode who did you know calling in space sea devils green death death of the daleks revenge of the cybermen robots of death like he, i know he's he's a doctor who's it's sad actually in that um a lot of the people who who directed it for and chris boucher i'll get into yes. him because uh um, yeah, Michael E. Bryant is one of my favorite classic Doctor Who directors, and he's, he's sharp as a tack. I've interviewed him relatively recently, and he's like uh, late 70s, maybe even early 80s, and he still remembers everything he did on every single oh, wow. Doctor Who story. It's amazing. Uh, and he's done. After Robots of Death, which he did great work on, he's done, and he only works on Blake 7 after that. David Maloney, who was the producer for the first three seasons, uh, was one of the most prolific Doctor Who directors. He's done after that, only works on Blake 7. Chris Boucher, uh, mm-hmm. Doctor Who was robbed. Doctor Who yep. was robbed by not having Chris Boucher for longer than they did. Chris Boucher wrote three Doctor Who stories, uh, Face of Evil, Robots of Death, and Image of the Fendal. Uh, some of the greatest dialogue in Doctor Who ever happens in those three episodes. Um, once he starts taking over Blake 7, you know, take, I think Terry Nation is, is driving the bus in, in this first season, but after mm-hmm. that, Chris Boucher really take, takes over, and you can tell yes. because the dialogue is, is really punched up. And we don't get him. We don't get him in Doctor Who, and it's a shame, but he is, he, he honestly is the unsung hero of, of Blake 7. He's the reason I, I go back and watch that, is the, yes. is the, the amazing lines that he, that he pops in there. Yeah. Um, uh, one of my favorite is in the second episode, but we'll get to that when we get to the second episode uh, in another episode of this podcast. But, um, but yeah, uh, I quite like Chris Boucher's work. Right, yeah, he came into Doctor Who, did like three terrific stories and dropped the mic, and then he's over here at Blake 7. It, it, he could have been the... Um, Holmes to Hitchcliffe for Williams there, like it. Oh, yeah, it was Holmes. It was Holmes that basically recommended um, him to the Blake Seven office, thinking, "Hey, if you're looking for a, a script editor, I found the guy for you." And uh, and, the, and which which I suppose, in its own way, led Doctor Who to getting Douglas Adams in in house for for as long as it did, because Chris Boucher might have still been there had Chris Boucher taken the Doctor Who gig instead of the Blake Seven one. So we can only deal with what we have, I guess. Right. Exactly. And appreciate. But yeah, yeah, Face Face of Evil Robots of Death is maybe one one of the best back-to-backs. It's amazing. Group. It's amazing, isn't it? There there's a lot the one of the great lines in Doctor Who history, television history is um the very powerful, the very stupid have uh, have one thing in common. They don't alter their views to fit the facts. They alter the facts to fit their views. That's mm-hmm. a Chris Boucher line from The Face of Evil. If you watch the actual episode, it's happening in the background while Leela is like hypnotized and is reaching for a knife to go kill the doctor. It's a throwaway bit of dialogue and Chris Boucher writes it as that and it's the most important thing that Doctor Who has ever said and is quoted still today. And, you know, Chris 
Belcher is just throwing these things off. Like that's mm-hmm. here. I'll give you that one. I'll just use this throwaway line, which is actually, you know, the most impressive thing anyone's ever written for Doctor Who. And it's a throwaway line. Yeah. I'm such a talented writer. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, man, that's, uh, that's one, that's one of my all time favorites and that's that's one like if you want to see how good the classic doctor who can be go check out it's it's like zardoz with less screwiness <laughs> with less screwiness was not expecting a zardoz connection tonight but here we go <sighs> yes uh but yeah um when so how old were you and 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 when was it when you first actually got to sit through blake seven i upper? you know what i was probably Late teens, maybe even early 20s. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was, um, I think my local PBS station, which is not that local, it's about eight hours away, but it's the one that we picked up in uh, in, in Camerals, Alberta, Canada. And uh, they had for many, many years aired Doctor Who. And, you know, it was the 94, 95, so they were sort of like running out of, you know, how many times could we rerun Doctor Who? Uh, even I had taped them all. I had, you know, even I was sort of like finding, ah, oh, whatever, you know, Doctor Who's on. And then they said, well, I'll tell you what, we're going we're gonna to interrupt the Doctor Who run and air Blake 7. I don't think they had ever aired it before. And so that was my first opportunity. And I didn't actually watch them, but I taped okay. them knowing that I would watch them there. <laughs> Uh, and it took a long time for me to get to watch them. And then I sort of like eventually sort of plowed through them once. And I, eh, they were kind of okay. And then I watched them again, I think, when, you know, DVD rips were showing up on the internet. So I mm-hmm. found those and stuff okay. and uh, and watched them again. But honestly, I've only ever seen each episode. I shouldn't say that because, you know, every time you begin a new pilgrimage, you basically have to start from, you know, the episode one. So I've seen, I've seen these first three episodes many times but the ones after that sort of then then we get into diminishing returns i've only seen like once or twice so gotcha. so yeah i i recorded it in like 95 was first you know experienced it and then very gradually over the next like 20 years did i actually start watching it proper gotcha so for me so this one you know in in the united states for it like nowadays this doesn't matter but at the amount of episodes total this has it's not an attractive syndication package for because they usually wanted a hundred for syndication back in the day, and I can't yeah. even remember if my PBS station would run it. Because um, I I didn't know it was something like back of my mind. I'd seen it stuff where it going into like Who North America a lot because they have a little section where there's some uh, Douglas Adam things and some Blake Seven stuff, and I was like, I oh, don't Blake Seven, and I think I believe your show you got you guys reference Blake Seven on Radio Free Scar when I heard it, and then when the pandemic lockdown happened. Uh-huh. There was there was a YouTube channel that just there were all the episodes because you can't get it on DVD here no. in the North America. It's never been. Re- I mean, did they even release the VHSs? Here? I don't know if they did back in the day. Certainly not yeah. the DVDs, but uh, yeah. it really has not crossed over here until now. It's on BritBox. So it is. if you want to watch Blake Seven with us, you're only if you're on this side of the ocean uh, or. Either ocean uh, <laughs> from the UK, uh, you'll you have to watch it on BritBox, which I'm never had BritBox till now uh, to rewatch Blake Seven. But uh, this was yeah, this pandemic show for me. I went through it all through it, um, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, I would like to do this as an old space show down the road here, which was uh, would have been early days of the Brandon Peter show and planning. So I might not have been even recording uh, the show. When right, I was looking at Blake Seven, so I was like, okay. So, and I'm happy to have you here, who is a, you'll be the expert, I guess, for 
Sonic 7. Um, well, I'll, my... I'll, I'll point out the Doctor Who actors. Uh, that's be, that's uh, what I need you for. Is that, is that I'll, know some obvi- okay. I'll know some obvious ones. You'll pick out the the the, the little ones. But okay. yes, so I went through it. It's a, it's a very, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's very Doctor Who-like, but very also like goes in a direction and tone that Doctor Who would never take a lot of the time. So... Uh, no. But you could easily imagine the TARDIS showing up in the middle of one of these adventures and him getting involved at some point. De- yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It feels like, you know, because some of my favorite, uh, you know, Doctor Who episodes would be like, oh, he just wound up in some random sci-fi movie, you know, and this is <laughs> a sci-fi show. So. Yep. Well, it was nearly a crossover, but uh, we can talk to that when we get to that episode. But Gotcha. Teaser. Gotcha. Yep. All right. So this first episode, I mean, this show... To set the stage for listeners, we're, we're going here. This is patient and building to what... It, we don't even have our full cast for a few episodes here. I know. It's amazing, or, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. not serialized, but it's but it's certainly... It's a continuation, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we don't even have our main sets. We don't have... Nope. <laughs> we don't have... We don't even know... You kind of don't even know what the show's going to be uh, Going if you go in blind... We we have a very uh, Logan's Run esque show for this first episode. People living in a dome, yeah, being lied to, controlled, very dystopian, very dystopian on dystopian. a BBC budget. Yeah, but, but a lot of people just bored walking through halls. <laughs> it looks yeah. like the world is a lot of men uh, walking through halls and one woman who who's like, "Hi, Blake." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I actually I actually like the way they they. You because know, this is basically the only time we see Earth proper in the entire show, mm-hmm. and uh, I I kind of like that. Not like sure that the, the uh, you know the Federation guards are a little bit uh, you know jackbooted um, stormtroopers, but everyone else sort of seems to be just regular sort of people functioning in society. But you know they're they're really towing the line. I mean, there's one guy who says, "Oh yeah, you know, but then after after the uh his lawyer leaves and goes, uh, okay, let's let's get on to the authorities about this because, you know, everyone sort of seems kind of nice, but there's a veneer of like, mm-hmm. you know, we're all part of this, you know, but there it, it would have been easy to have all the supporting characters in this first episode, you know, be fundamentally evil. But even the lawyer, Varen, uh, who's Blake's lawyer in this? He's sort of like honestly, he's the lead in this episode. Blake is barely the lead in in the first episode yeah, of a show yeah. that bears his name. You know, yeah, he's he finds out something, then he's stuck to a, a bed, and then a just waiting for a court case, then in a cell, and then trapped and just stuck on a ship. He really doesn't move too much, um, yeah, or anything like that. But yeah, they uh, they have this yeah the dome thing, and there's a yeah, rebellious group outside, mm-hmm. which I, I have to say, um, I really like. I don't know if it's a mat or a model shot being transposed, but that looks really awesome at night. It's a good shot. It's an yeah. impressive shot for 1977. You know, with the uh, the dome in the background. I think it's kind of a. I don't know if it's a split screen or if it's a mat uh, painting, um, or or what kind of effect they use for it. But uh, but yeah, I was a given where Doctor Who was at the time. I'm not mm-hmm. even sure that was a. Uh, was done in post-production. It might have been a shot that was sort of lined up live. Although it was on film, though, so maybe it was kind of done in, in post-production a little bit. But uh, I thought it was an impressive thing. It helped sell 
the you know the, the scenario, what was going on. It didn't look too flashy. Mm-hmm. Uh, being at night probably yes. helped a great deal. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was impressed by that shot. Yeah, really good production. I there's a lot of hallmarks of like 70s science fiction I like here, like that. There's the uh, courtroom. Is that Kind of like hauntingly empty white room type <laughs> yep. feeling. I love that stuff. I I, I get really into that. Um, but uh, it also has, you know, the mixture of video and film, and cer- <laughs> certain things that with British television that I love, especially the British sci-fi. Is there's, uh, and this is what attracted me to Doctor Who back in the day and all that. Uh, is they've got this unintentional like scary factor to things that aren't really meant to be. But they just yeah. kind of come off the way, just because the way they, you go from video to like a film thing, and the way they shoot on film, it's it, I I don't it's hard to describe, but it's just kind of got this like unsettling kind of feeling when it's not trying to unsettle you. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's uh, some many people would call that cheap. Uh, certainly, even when I was growing up watching Doctor Who and that was made in that style, uh, people were thinking it was cheap. I thought it was cheap, but now I find it almost endearing. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it's it's a sign of the times of how they made television back in those days on on sort of creepy videotape and stuff, and uh, it was efficient. I think what you lose in being able to to shoot and light a scene as you would want it because you have to sort of light the whole set to be visible as opposed to each individual shot. And so a lot of the lighting looks a lot more flat in these multi-camera videotape productions. Uh, but what I think you gain, and this is, this is not just for Blake 7, but for Doctor Who and other shows like The Sandbaggers, you get it in the rhythm of the performance because you're watching one complete performance of a mm-hmm. scene as opposed to people sort of doing their lines for one you know, one take of it and then they move the camera and do another take and it's edited together. The editing happens as the performance is happening essentially and, and there's a real pace to it. And I think Gareth Thomas, who plays Blake, is very much a uh, accomplished theater performer. You can sort of tell he's got that sort of uh, that theatric quality to it. You know, you've done a brilliant job! You know, no, yes. one, no one could sort of shout that out if he hasn't done that to the back seats in a theater somewhere. And so you get this, this wonderful rhythm and this real heightened drama because of the way it's shot. It almost, Blake 7 almost kind of diminishes a little bit once you go on to film and so whenever they go back into studio and you've got like you know the the the, the characters interacting at towards the end of the episode of the villa and and uh, and jenna and stuff i feel like there's a real rhythm to it all and i mm-hmm. I, I i appreciate the way they were produced back then yeah and i, I to go along with it i don't mean to sli- like i mean this in terms of genre television stuff the, yeah with the the british stuff the acting's just better because it's there's like a training to them but like Mm -hmm. you said they have to do it then and there and um they seem there's a there's a mentality of just you know hey cool i have a part doesn't matter how big doesn't matter this it's a part and i have to give it a hundred percent uh people have to believe this whereas it's slumming it if you're in the u.s and you're like well i'm a guest star on star trek this week you know like you don't feel the not saying they're all bad in those mm-hmm. shows, but like every single person on Blake Seven from one line or just walking in the background is like committed, you know. And that's yeah. what you get with like Doctor Who. You get that with Avenger. You get that with like all these shows. It's not corny or you know everybody buys into it because you take ownership of a performance, a part, and that's what matters to the British performer as opposed to the American one. 
Yeah, and also the, the, the you know the format of production affected that too because if it was all film what you would do like Robert Beatty who plays uh, Brand Foster the leader of the uh, the dissidents only appears on film he likely would have been one day would have showed up maybe there's probably a longer bit of uh, of film scenes they might have done rehearsal but usually they show up on the day they rehearse record they basically here's what we're going to do you know your lines let's run through the scene once or twice then we'll shoot it on film in many different angles and that's how we'll do it uh, when you're doing the studio, what they do is they rehearse it like a play, mm-hmm. literally for a week, a week and a half, and then they shoot it basically in the span of like one evening uh, when everyone's got it down in their head. They basically shoot it over the course of what, three and a half hours, I think, maybe for probably longer, mm-hmm. actually, 45, for a 45-minute episode. They might have done it over two days. But so everyone from the from the leads to like the people who are in like one or two scenes, they've all been part of that rehearsal process. And so they've all they've all been part of the team, the same company. So if you're a bit part actor on, a, on a, an American show or a film show, you're, you're literally only in there for one day, an afternoon maybe. You know your lines, you say them, you're gone. And that's yeah. it. You don't have a connection to that, but everyone who's involved in, in, in these type of shows is there. It's, it's, it's the company putting on this sort of performance. And even though you might have a smaller part of it, you are still there for the whole process. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the pub after and talk gossip. <laughs> With the lots, boys. Of, lots of lots of liquid lunches uh, back yes. in those days, from what I from what I gather. Yep. Right. Yeah, liquid lunches that could make you forget, like Blake, forgetting his, uh, forgetting his past. Which I can't remember. 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 We've got a hero who's been brave. He was this mercenary hero that has memory wipe, which has some spooky, uh, cool flashback. Cuts uh, to his memory wipe and, and stuff mm-hmm. with the, the guards and some interesting, nice little unsettling things there. That um, And he's also set for a trial, which you mentioned, child molestation. That's a... That's a... <laughs> wow. Okay, that's, well... Yeah. We're doing this, are we? All right, here we go. Well, yep. I guess they... If you really want him to... You know, his people to turn on him, I guess. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, yeah. Uh, there's that, and then like the massacre of the uh, the outsiders, um, the people that he meets with, and we have this girl that it leads him. That we're like, oh, this is gonna be like you know starting to build the crew. Oh no, they are all dead. Yeah, all of them. All of them. Every single one, apart from the one who uh, turned them in. Uh, yes. Tarrant. Yeah. Yes, Tarrant. Just wow. Um, yeah, the molestation, just murder, just wow. Yeah, Crazy. it's pretty. It's a pretty shocking, brutal sequence, actually. You mm-hmm. know, all things considered. Uh, but it it's so funny. Uh, you know, Blake Seven as you know, child molestation, mass slaughter in uh, in the basement of this building, and yet around the same time, I've seen clips of Blue Peter, a kids show that uh, Doctor Who would often uh, also feature on, uh, showing how to make um, uh, teleport bracelets. So there's this. <laughs> Just, I know. There's this weird connection. Like, hey, did, did you catch Blake Seven last night with the uh, child molestation plot line? Well, here's how you can build your own teleport bracelet, kids. <laughs> Do you need to get away from a dangerous adult? <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll make a. You can pick it on a cardboard. And it, yeah, it was amazing. I don't the 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 uh, the seventies, man. The seventies. I don't understand. Too. We had eighties too. We had a Rambo cartoon for a Rambo's movies that they couldn't go see, or right. we couldn't go see as a kid. Like yeah, uh, wild stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, and in innocent times. I don't know. Yeah, I know it is at times, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, he gets 
he's not innocent, I guess. Well, he is, but he isn't. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, you know, he's got the, the world's best lawyer who decides, you know, what? I probably should have done some more research after the fact. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but that, but that just shows you how, you know, the, the society is. They just, mm-hmm. like, it's open and shut. I mean, why would why would this be any different? But, the you know, the fact that there actually is uh, a lawyer who fairly quickly sort of, like, you know, begins to believe Blake, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's hope for earth after all. Not everyone's been brainwashed. Right. Uh, also, uh, 30 minutes in, we meet two more of the main cast, uh, yeah. J- Jenna Stannis and, uh, Villa Restal, 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 uh, Restal. We rarely, we rarely hear his last name yes. in the, in the, in the show. It's usually just Villa. Yeah. Yeah. Just Villa. And, uh, he's a thief and she's a smuggler and, mm-hmm. uh, they, they, learn each other in prison they're all going to take a trip to cygnus alpha which is a penal colony um, where they will spend their days but in this there's a race against time here as the lawyer he you know in the middle of the night he you know like no country for old men when josh brolin's like okay and goes back to that scene to check (laughs) out he Uh, goes to do research finding out oh they brainwashed the kids to say that this happened, mm-hmm. and uh, goes to find the tunnels, and then the you know the ship takes off, the London, and uh, it's too late uh, because the lawyer, while he had the evidence, him and his girlfriend are murdered. Yep, <laughs> and the ship is headed to Cygnus Alpha. Yeah, and then uh, they say, you know, take a good look. It's the last you'll ever see of it. And Blake says, No, I'm coming back. Boom, 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 but yeah, it's yes. good. It's a good closing moment. Good closing moment. I thought to that, uh, you know, he didn't overplay it. Did get right. like this is no, I'm coming back. You yes. know, yeah, no, one hundred percent. It's a yeah, it's a inter- it's a good start. It gets you hooked right away. Go into this mysterious, you know what? At you know, as much as it hooks you in with like where are they going to discover outside of the city? Then whoa, they killed everybody. To, just and then the race against the clock with the lawyer. That's a pretty good hook mm. for a first episode. I I think. I think so too. For one, uh, as you say, is a, is a slow burn in a way that we don't get to meet all the heroes. We don't get to see what the cause is. Uh, we just get introduced to you know the main character who at the beginning it, it uh, is as clueless as the rest of us, having his memories wiped and stuff. And so I kind of like that. It's a good hook for. Some, you know, it's a good way to bring the viewer in without having a lot of, as you know, dialogue between characters who have obviously know what they're talking about, but have to, you know, explain it to each other. So the audience understands because Blake uh, has had his memories wiped, you know, there's various different characters that basically explain who he was and what the Mm -hmm. situation is to him because he doesn't know. And therefore we don't know, but we could fill it in the same time. It's a, it's an, it's a bit of ingenious, uh, uh, writing. Well, well done Terry nation on that. And also props for not like, you know, we, Blake seven has a big main cast and it's not like, here's everybody. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's like an ensemble drama like we, we pick up little pieces we move a pawn here and then we move another pawn and we you know mm-hmm. we don't learn about anyone we just sort of like learn who they are a little bit and then the episode ends no we learn about blake and we start to learn about jenna and villa uh and then and then as the series progresses we get to uh you know meet the the rest of the the characters who eventually become the main ones i i like that i like i like learning two or three at a time imagining imagine like you know introducing eight people at a party to you at once uh and, yeah. and see if you remember anything about them no meet the first two and then have some more come along and then you'll remember each of them better exactly 
Perfect. Yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, that'll that'll do it for uh, this first episode of Blake Seven. So, uh, Stephen, uh, before we head out, uh, please share with everybody your information. <laughs> information. Uh, I have uh, several Doctor Who podcasts. Uh, lazy Doctor Who, which is being very lazy at the moment, um, which I do with my spouse Erica. But uh, the main one is uh, Radio Free Scarrow, which we do every single week, and occasionally we even mention Blake Seven when we're talking about classic Doctor Who. So there's the tie-in right there. But it's mostly a Doctor Who podcast. Awesome. And if if you're a if I'm if you're a Lazy Doctor Who listener that tunes into this, and I'm you think I'm preventing more of those from happening? Well, apologies. <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> get not. in the way. Hashtag bleaks seven. <laughs> uh, and I'm on Twitter, Instagram at Brandon 4KUHD. My written work is on whysoblue.com. I actually have put, I did nine Blu ray reviews in seven days last week. So wow. go check some of them out. There is more from the Brandon Peters Show this week as we are on the final leg of the Summer of 82 at 40 series. Uh, Scott Mendelson and I are winding those down, um, so definitely check that out. It's been a lot of fun. But uh, right now, from Old Space... If it takes all my life, I will destroy you, Blake. I will destroy you. I will destroy you. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.